You're listening to the Tell Me More podcast. We're masters of international business students at the Darla Moore School of Business. And each week we're sitting down with students, professors, and experts in the business world to tell the stories that connect us around the globe. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tell Me More podcast. I'm KJ, joined by my co-host Maggie. Hi guys. And we have the honor today of having on Tefik Von Sever. Hey KJ, hey Maggie, how are you? Good. Thanks for having Excited me. Excited to have you. Tefik is a very interesting guy, currently studying international business, and is fascinated and wanting to give a large part of his life to the intersect of arts and business. So we're going to navigate and investigate a little bit of that today. Fun fact about Tefik, uh, he's actually our first, this might surprise the audience, he's the first f- freelance professional ballet dancer that we've actually had on the show. <laughs> <laughs> my, You're the first. My foot is behind my not head Not the right last. <laughs> not the last. I'm in a split right now. So. <laughs> awesome. Have you done any ballet? I did when I was little, yeah. I, when I was five, I did ballet and tap, and I loved it. And one Christmas, my dad bought me a bar and put it downstairs, and I was obsessed. And I have no idea what happened. Well, actually, I do. I started playing tennis, and I stopped dancing. But I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's, it's universal. Mm-hmm. That's what, and this is what I want to touch on today, is that ballet dancers, Maggie, five years old, is doing ballet where they were doing ballet in Russia or in Turkey or in Saudi Arabia the same way and so for the past hundred years really little girls and boys who do this kind of dance have shared in this kind of uh, community uh, that as the world is sharing more information and visuals and Mm -hmm. over uh, social media uh, the nuances of the art are changing and it's so important because people who aren't professionals they keep that tradition alive because those are the people coming to the shows and those mm-hmm. memories stay with them forever and it's such a beautiful thing that's awesome it's going to be interesting to hear how you tie this to international business you have a, <laughs> you have a lofty lofty goal in front of you it's business <laughs> ballet is business actually that's probably, yeah that's true and i will say i actually really appreciate you saying that because i was thinking all i've really ever been to is like my little sister's mm-hmm. ballet recital when she was like six so i was like oh i don't have any real exposure and so now I'm like, oh, I'm actually pretty well exposed to this mm-hmm. since it's universal. And there's such a great uh, plethora of options, even today with COVID. So as you probably know that uh, with spacing issues, uh, it's harder to put people in organized areas, especially enclosed like theaters. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if you divide the audience in a way where people can uh, still come, the revenue, which is where the business Goes comes down. in, is cut. So the costs stay the same for those companies. The revenue goes down, and the supporting funding also goes down because they're doing other things. Because art is necessary, but it's generally one of the first things to get cut. It is, in an uh, economic yeah. Yeah, I had this. I had a conversation like that the other day with somebody. But before we go into it, tell us like how did you get started in ballet, and also tell us a little bit about international business and like how this, you know. Uh, well, because you're at Darlamore, you graduated from Darlamore. Yes. So so we're working under the assumption that you do have some interest in entering the business field at some point. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, when we look at the arts, so I started late. I started at 15. Really? Uh, my mom put me in. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> As most uh, young men do, mm-hmm. uh, their mothers or fathers, generally mothers, put them into ballet and they get absorbed into this world mm-hmm. and they can't leave. So when I got in at that young impressionable age as a teenager 
I went to the Governor's School in Greenville, South Carolina Governor's School for the Arts and Humanities. And the way that those students study is in five art disciplines, music, drama, creative writing, visual arts, and dance. And so when you look at these as industries, generally everything can be categorized under these things. And as far as what is a performing art, what is a, uh, just a, a like fine arts. Yes, thank yeah. you, fine arts, thank you. So how did I get there? I, I wanted to be a professional ballet dancer, but I also wanted to go to school. Mm -hmm. And the way to balance that is I got to freelance around the United States uh, for seasonal contracts. There just isn't enough men to do ballet. And so uh, connected with the university dance program and a lot of these male dancers on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. uh, some people do 10, 15 nutcrackers at 10 different schools. And uh, they have lives outside of that, just like a normal job. So just for me, I got to go to school at the same time. And it's, it's really a possibility for so many artists. Yeah. And, uh, oh gosh, that's, I lost track, Maggie. No, but that's so true. That's, that's so interesting. And the thing about the, like, I'm also interested in the arts, of mm -hmm. course. Um, and the thing about the arts is you want to be able to, like, have some kind of income, but, and also be pursuing it at the same time. And that's, I think, the edge that so many artists, like, are walking on. And that's why you see so many artists pursuing academia because that's the way that they're pursuing their creative field because they can get funding for it if they're able to teach something like that, you know. Um, so you have to be you have to be pretty you know smart about it, I guess, to be able to support what you do because, of course, as you said, the arts are so underfunded. Well, they have that entrepreneurial spirit, yeah, in a way, for sure. And so you you know you hear stories about entrepreneurs who are starting apps and they're living in their car, or their garage. Uh, but generally, I think society thinks, okay, there's a long-term return for that. Yeah. Like, eventually, you're going to make a lot of money, or you'll change, and you learned a lot on the path. But for arts, it's not seeming the same skill sets. It's like, okay, what skill sets have you developed? But perhaps, and I don't know, you probably can't quantify it, but what is the return of giving a child a full art education as they grow older? You know, kind of macro questions. Of course, these are good things, but you have to say them because you have to convince people to invest in them. And mm -hmm. it, it is such a return on society. Well, and it's interesting because, like, fostering a lot of those ideas of creativity and uh, innovation are actually some of the biggest things that are launching forward apps and different things like that. Like, having a background in more creative areas mm -hmm. um, instead of just sitting down and uh, doing math work like where, where there's progress in that there's creativity required and so like having a background in the creative fields really helps nurture that so it, it's really hard to imagine how much like monetary value that actually does have. yeah but when you were when you were 15 and getting into it was it an immediate love whenever you I got hated into it, it? Really? I was a 15 year old boy surrounded by 10 year old girls uh -huh. and pink tutus because that was my skill level they're like okay now you're with the beginners and you hated it I was like this is I should be with soccer right now how how quickly did you progress though um, I think a matter of months I think the so if we look at other countries who have a deeper infrastructure for ballet like mm -hmm schools that start at a much younger age and are very serious about bringing them up into a level that when they're adults they get them jobs that are supported. Um, in America it's kind of like anybody can be an artist. Yeah. So with that being said, people's bodies just adjust to the regime they put in. So I think a lot of people came into the MIB program not with a business background. Yeah, we but, do have a lot of people. But they're, they're doing these mac 
macroeconomic analysis, mm -hmm. and by the end of it, I think. So you're drawing the comparison between those two. I, th I think they do. There's some not maybe correlation doesn't cause causation, but I mean I think inspired people uh, push themselves if they're passionate about what they're doing. When did you become passionate about the ballet? Like when did you go from like an angsty 15 year old who hated doing it? Ah. Uh -huh. With like, but it was doing it because his mom wanted him to. Right. So I got to thank you uh, because I. It's an important point. I saw another male dancer dancing, who's one of my closest friends now, uh, who's dancing in professional companies up north, named Journey Wilkes Davis. I was just a stagehand, just like doing stuff in the background. You know, I had stopped my professional ballet career three months at 15. I said that was it. Really? But when I saw him do professional stuff, you know, he was 26, he was doing jumps and doing partnered lifts. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, that's. And that's you wanted to do that? Immediately. Yeah. So I never stopped. Isn't that cool, like, <clears throat> how someone else just kind of doing their own thing and, like, following their passion inspired you? Yes. And now you're here how many, however many years later, just... Ten years, yeah. Ten years. Wow. What is it about international business that um, made you want to travel abroad? Because you studied at Coach University in, in Istanbul, Turkey, for people who don't know. Yes, yeah, so... Uh, I had freelanced through my undergrad and I had gotten to study abroad in Copenhagen mm -hmm. and do some trips with the Magellan Scholarship to Turkey and that really started my grant writing of what is the... You do grant writing? So you've been... Yes, I was doing some grant writing undergrad okay. for uh, scholarships just looking at how does, COPE, how does welfare state art subsidies benefit the ballet companies here or how does the art subsidies in Turkey benefit the ballet here when I was living in America and just kind of doing this cross-cultural. Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel Ostergaard Yes. Encouraged me, uh, great man, to apply for this program and kind of combine all those interests, mm -hmm. as well as my uh, father's, you know, birth connection to Turkey, mm -hmm. and just the MIB offered that c huge cumulative experience. That is so nuanced. I mean, honestly, it really is, and nuanced. only the MIB can do that. Only yeah, Daniel Ostergaard can go. So, tell, will you tell people who um, Dr. Ostergaard is for the, if anybody doesn't know? You want me to say it? As like his bio or like what he means to like me? Like who, who is he? Oh, Daniel. <laughs> at the time I was People there, at the time I was there, I think May 2018, he was the MIB program director. Mm -hmm. I had seen him in the elevator and he was wearing an MIB jacket. I said, I like your jacket. He said, thanks. Let me tell you about the MIB program. <laughs> He's like, well, because I, I know Dr. Ostergaard because uh, we have two people in the program currently who are uh, graduate assistants for him. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way I know him. Uh, but he is so interesting, and apparently he's just an incredible professor. I would, I would love to get to know him more and actually have him on the podcast if he... He organized an amazing trip I missed out on because I got whisked away in the spring semester of everything. Mm -hmm. But he goes to Israel, brought some students in. Yep. I Sarah heard. went there. Sarah Sanders. Sarah Sanders. Yep. She'll be on Shout the out to Sarah Sanders. Shout out to Sarah Sanders. <laughs> um, that's so interesting, though. It's all been developed through the school. So the school offers opportunities for people to make independent path choices, mm -hmm. and they can really lead to a lot of benefits. And I've been at USC for almost seven years, and that's sprung off to four or five different schools. Mm -hmm. uh, private work opportunities connected to the school, like through in ventures I did myself. So I was just going to ask what originally made you interested in business of all the things. Like you had this art background, and kind of what made you think, even going into undergrad with the business economics, uh, what inspired that? Uh, 
Yes, I think it happened. Uh, so in undergrad, I was a dance degree, and uh, I wanted a dance major. That was my degree, and uh, I was thinking, okay, well, the professional paths after college with a dance degree aren't the paths I want to pursue. So I want to dance professionally, but also since I'm already in the system, what can I do? Yeah. And uh, influential teacher, Dr. Gordon Air, uh, I was in his. Uh, micro and macroeconomics classes, which then filled a pre-requirement to go study abroad in Denmark for a year, where I got to dance at so many studios and take business classes from Copenhagen Business School, Copenhagen University, Danish Institute for Study Abroad, and I think there's where I got all my soft skills in business, and I was also dancing, so I was like, oh, business is all this creative, fun, you know, innovative, but then when I got back to the school to get fully into the business economics program, they're like, no, accounting, finance, marketing, you know, the hard skills mm -hmm. that supplement everything. So I'm, the school offered me a chance to do that one and that one from like sister programs. So I think that's where it all started. I think it's like, okay, I got to see business as uh, multiple tools mm -hmm. that we all use in our daily life. And so that's the value that you see in business now moving forward. Yes, yes. No matter what you do in your professional career, business skills are going to help you manage. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Is your what what's like your long term goal with incorporating business with dance uh, besides pursuing like obviously freelance or like professional ballet dancing? Do you hope to, for example, like start a studio or like do more grant writing or like be involved in government where you can promote the arts or something like that? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a question uh, that I think relates to some political science as well because there's mm -hmm. a discussion of private versus public. You know, liberal coordinated market, uh, liberal, correct me, liberal market economy, coordinated market economy is kind of like state controlled versus private controlled. Let's say, for instance, schools. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's look at arts institutions. Historically, some countries have produced them from the state themselves. Some countries, you know, people who dance move to this country, they start a studio. Mm -hmm. So I think if I was thinking, okay, I want to start a studio in a business mindset it's like okay this is my revenue this is my costs what do I want to do well I think I would want to just change the whole macro environment of dance I would want to use these skills to create some uh, model or some kind of research to show how business owners that exist within the system a private system such as the United States how can it better be used to maximize their financial efficiency so they don't have to go through these speed bumps during these hard economic times mm -hmm. or that way they can accrue improve the credibility and refine the fine arts that they're teaching, the mm -hmm. painting, the dance, how do they get those resources? And so I think with all extreme answers, there's a balance between, I would love to work with the state and private organization, private studio owners to help wow. those individual dancers. That's, that's, <laughs> that's just crazy. It's crazy because it's like, you don't hear many people putting a business model, an economic model, uh, or I should say an economic justification behind the arts. How often do you hear that? Because uh, this is a, this feels like the first I've heard it, I'm in my opinion. I don't want to butcher the pronunciation, so I'm going to look. Uh, Dr. Eiland Sejkin is an arts economist in Turkey, mm -hmm. and I recently visited one of her arts economies lectures, and she's dealing with. Uh, so this is a whole field that yeah. I'm just completely ignorant. I think of. it's a niche field within a field. Okay. I think it's like an economic political science because it's really the arts. The arts is the field, but it's how do they survive, where they're placed. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things like you're not <clears throat> super exposed to it, but now that I'm hearing, I'm like, oh my gosh. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes so much sense, and I'm so glad it exists. 
Yeah, I feel I feel like embarrassingly embarrassingly ignorant to all of this, <laughs> despite me loving the arts throughout my whole life. <sighs> but that's what you're trying to share with us, of course. Yes, but everybody knows it in their heart. I mean, everyone's mm -hmm. an artist in their heart. Do you they, really think so? Um, it's well, a loaded, loaded that's state. That's a loaded yeah. state. I think <laughs> my teacher, one of my ballet teachers, Stanislav Asayev, he once said, uh, "Art, an artist is a title." Mm -hmm. He says, "You never want to call yourself an artist." He says the title is bestowed upon you. Uh, he's like, if you if you finish a show or do something and your grandma says, oh, you're an artist, he's like, that's okay. <laughs> but, you know, this is Russian, like, hardcore ballet. But I appreciated that because everyone wants to call themselves an artist. I think it's like calling yourself beautiful. I think anybody can call themselves beautiful. Anybody can call themselves an artist. Because uh, whether you want to make a profession as an artist, I think that's different. So Maggie and I need to make some type of agreement where like I kind of built her up as an artist, she kind of built me up as an artist. <laughs> We're just giving each other compliments. That's perfect. Forth, the, like, the word gets out and everyone's like, oh, they're, they're really they're artists. artists. <laughs> in my experience with the arts, I've been involved in writing and I love to write, but I always had hesitancy calling myself a writer, specifically like a poet. That's what I do. I, I, like, I write poetry. Do you feel that kind of awkwardness with the term? That's beautiful. I, I think I do the reverse. I say I'm a dancer and not an artist because the dance is more like, if you say ballet, it's like a leading question. You're like, I'm, I do ballet. <laughs> it's like, I dance. That's more like, I'm a dancer. I do ballet. Yeah. Uh, that mean, it's, like the, it's like the meat of it. You know, that's what you're doing. The writing, mm -hmm. that's the meat of it. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting question. We'd have, we'd have, we need a computer search etymology of artists. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am interested because what you're saying about uh, kind of the economic structure of arts and things like that, and it sounds like something you've been looking into, what are some ways, if any, that you think maybe something like COVID could have been weathered a little better or institutions um, could have done differently? I think obviously, in hindsight, everyone can pick apart a lot mm -hmm. of things and that's healthy to do, but I didn't know if there's a couple specific things in your industry you could maybe share. I was, I had the, so while I was dancing at Coach, the coach offered me the chance to dance with uh, local studios, and I got to dance with Istanbul State Ballet. Wow. So I was training with them during classes, and COVID came, and they shut down. So at that point, I think all dancers in the world probably took a week off. And then, <laughs> like, all, thank I think so, I think they're like, you know, the people who were doing shows actively are, like, probably you're grateful. Some freelancers, it was tough. Uh, but I think people started training online. There was a big social movement on social media where people were giving away free classes or charging yeah. or doing privates. Like, you know, they had a bar installed in their home. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, and I definitely saw that. And people did the same thing with writing. They were like, let's mm -hmm. sit down or, or painting and things. And I saw, like, a New York Times, like, columnist, like, artist um, who was, like, you know, showing off their painting skills and, like, teaching little kids online. It's very cool. And so in that, and that's just a beautiful example. So this, that was a, this, was, this has been an economic hardship for the globe in a lot of ways. And people still pursued their passions and arts, mm -hmm. and they survived. Um, I think that the business part of that stops there because it's just like what humans bring forward with them. Yeah. Like they're going to find a way to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cave people, you know, we're painting on the walls. <laughs> <laughs> It is interesting the way that you pivot and adjust, and I think there's a lot of beauty that has come out of COVID, and it's pushed us to 
well, maybe this is too romantic to say, but it's like pushed us to our limits, you know, in, in the way, in the way that we pursue what we are passionate about. Yeah. So to talk about the business part, if town, if theater prices stay the same, if there's no like whatever's in their contract, however it's set up, and their revenue goes down, and their main revenue base is probably donations, uh, they could probably just float for the time being. But now that it's Everybody started to come back. I think there's shows doing now. There's a lot of innovations, like people are recording, and then they're putting the like a projector in a park, open space stuff, or um, yeah, just doing the limited audience thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, I think next year it'll recover. Okay. I think it'll so. be. I think they'll have it tight enough where uh, perhaps theater prices are now times three, and you have six. Really? Maybe you have six seats to yourself. Or maybe they redesigned the seating structure and uh, their revenue loss can be made up by that. But then is art only allowed for a select few? Is it an aristocratic thing? That's true. The same, thi the same question came with sports, too. Mm. For example, like I, I graduated from Clemson and they were trying to figure out how people, I know that's a bold statement, sorry. Um, I know that people are trying to figure out how to allocate seats and things like that. And it, ultimately, it turned out whoever paid the most got their seats, cut their seats, because they had to get rid of so many to social distance and everything. Wow. Um, and, and, like, it is a good question. Is it going to stay the same with the arts, with ballet? And it is. It's actually funny, because now I'm thinking in the last eight months, I've heard a lot about football, and I don't. I think this is actually the first time I've gotten into a discussion about mm. how can we help ballet survive through a worldwide pandemic. That is a fantastic That's so question. That's so true. <laughs> I would say, um, go to Google. I know that's easy, and just type in famous ballets, and you're going to get a list, and there's going to be a set number of classical choreographers, and then online on YouTube you can find so many of full-length productions. And I would say start at the top, what, what people say is high quality, and then go look up who is dancing in the video, and then go to Instagram, and you can actually see their training regime, their private lessons. Engage with them. Engage with them on like a personal level. Not really, don't like, you know. Yeah, but. But you know, on a, as close as we can get for strangers, you know, as in the arts, like how do we share? Um, well, that's interesting, because like now that you say that, it's probably because it's a lesser known art and or lesser experienced, it's probably a lot easier to get in touch with and learn from the top ballet dancers in the world uh, because it's so niche than it is maybe other things. So like when we're pursuing kind of the knowledge on this, it's like if I wanted to go, like, go and have dinner with like LeBron James, that might be like really 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 hard <laughs> but I might have a little bit better of a chance having uh, a meal with one of these accessibility wise yeah yeah do you find it to be an accessible art no oh. no um, we'll just cut that out yeah I'll add it. well <laughs> no, accessible I mean, that's uh, as far as a an audience member or someone you're trying to get in I was thinking in the sense of like you're wanting to learn and experience and grow. And oh, they love it. Form. Yes, yeah. no, totally open. Okay. Absolutely. I think COVID makes it hard because people think, okay, we want to get people in to see ballets. Mm -hmm. But you, you see a lot of writings that were there like, or a lot, a, a lot of arts economy articles that are saying we should have like streaming services for all the major operas companies in the world. Um, I, when I hear that, I think what I, I don't think I would go home 
There's something watch. about being there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's something about being there. You're losing the magic a little you bit. You lose the magic. Right. I mean, I listen to some of my favorite songs when they do like live concert performances and they'll, you know, upload it to Spotify, whatever. And you're just like, God, I just wish I was there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good, but like, I, I, you need to be there. It's a whole environment. It's like an ambiance. Um, I mean, now I'm getting into the whole. No, we're in an experience economy. We have to experience <laughs> our purchase. And that's the thing. You know, these streaming services, if you have so much uh, luxury and access to nice things, does that desensitize you? Does that make us as a consumer base want more? Does that push us to be innovative? Does it dilute the quality? These are huge that's questions. In, that is an interesting question. Does it dilute the quality? Because if you were to lower the price of these shows, mm. which maybe that's what you're getting at, do you feel that that dilutes the quality? Like, do you view ballet the way that I would view like a luxury kind of brand? I'm getting paid, if I'm getting paid $10, I'm gonna do my best. So the on the production side, there's like a technique and an artistry, and I guess the technique is fulfilling the requirements of the piece you're doing, and the artistry is the translation of that to an audience you might not know. Because actually the audience member who doesn't know anything is the most knowledgeable about ballet. Because people who go to things and experience these things, they say, that was good. Mm-hmm. Or like, I didn't like that. But generally, like, they're the masters. And if you lower the price for them, does it encourage people to come? I don't know. Would you I rather see a $100 show on Broadway or a $10 show on Broadway? If money wasn't like... Well, a ten dollars show because it's Broadway. Ah, but if ah. it's, but I wouldn't pay. That's int- that's a market question. I would I would yeah. pay a hundred dollars, and I have paid more than that to go see a show on Broadway. Uh, but only because it's Broadway. Because you, you know that whatever it is, it's gonna because be you know good. it's going to be good. Okay, let's say, um, Raleigh, North Carolina, hundred dollar show, ten dollar show, same ticket. There, it depends on the show. I see. Yeah, it's an interesting. Yeah, because these are the kind of what are people willing to pay. Well, yeah, and it also poses the question of um, when I think about the arts in the way that, like, more of the elegance of it and maybe, like, the luxuriousness of it, for example. So there's a difference between me going to see you perform in a ballet and paying a lot of money versus me going out to a brewery, grabbing a beer, and there's a guy playing a gig there. Mm -hmm. You know? Those are both artistic. Those are both artistic experiences. But the amount we pay and maybe the quality we expect are very different. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, the beautiful, the consumer, and again, it's this is where it gets uh, murky, talking about arts and business, because you're talking about someone's passion, you're talking mm-hmm. about someone's life. And you're monetizing it. And you monetize it, and you think, no, that's taking away everything, but the, pitfall, the, the pitfalls of history of artistic directors had, maybe it's part of their beauty, but at the same time, there's so many uh, things of looking ahead that would keep people's doors open and to keep them pursuing that. So you need people who are focused on the arts and you need people who are focused on the business who understand the arts. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just comes from exposure. Yeah. It's a hard field to get into. And I mean, personally, I've gone through that kind of experience where I've balanced, do I pursue an MFA? Do I pursue mm-hmm. a MIB? Like, what do I do so I can like best optimize like my passions here? Ultimately, it was business because I thought, well, I can make more money doing business. But at the same time, I'm always thinking, how can I be creative in business? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I'm not in marketing. I think KJ probably has answered that question since you're more artistic in that sense. <laughs> um, 
But it's something that's it's hard to balance, and it's hard to find your niche in your area. And will you say what an MFA is? Oh, uh, MFA is Master of Fine Arts for writing, yeah. So then that would be the option of like pursuing a business route or kind of a more artistic focus or base. Yeah, and I, and I knew that if I pursued an MFA, it would be years of study, uh, teaching, and, and writing. And I thought, well, ultimately, I don't think I want to dive that deep into myself for that many years right. <laughs> and try to make money off of it. But um. well, So speaking of teaching, um, you kind of mentioned that's a way people monetize a skill set that you have. Is that something you desire to do long term as you're pursuing kind of the economic progress of this industry and uh, economic stability of this industry? Would you kind of also want to do some teaching and stuff on the side to raise up the next generation of 15 year old angsty kids who's uh, yeah. from the ballet. That might be, I think that's the uh, height. Not to, I have such a view of respect of my teachers who did ballet, mm-hmm. and uh, you're talking about getting into it. Like when you get into it, there's a threshold, and uh, I don't think I would ever, and this sounds tough, but have the credibility to be like an artistic director of a ballet company because those are the people that are making those choreographic artistic decisions that work with boards and do all this. So that's an administrative task, but they also have a uh, artistic responsibility. And so I think uh, as far as teaching that, I'd like to do it for as long as I can, but I think I have a role as far as I want to get the kids who don't know anything about mm-hmm. ballet or maybe even hate ballet or mm-hmm. maybe think ballet is for girls only mm-hmm. because those are the kids that are best at it, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Well, one question we do like to ask people is who opened doors for you and who, in another way, what educator in your life really set you on the path to where you are today? Can I say my mom? Yeah, of course course you could say your mom. I think I'm going to say my mom first. She's just been with me the whole time, you know, moms. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She was there since the beginning. You're a good mom. So, uh, as an educator, uh, there's just so many. It takes a village, you know. from all over the world. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned him, John Gordonaire, uh, Daniel, Dr. Ostergaard, um, Angel Earl, God bless her. Um, yeah. So many, I, I could list so many. Mm-hmm. I think top three right now. But. Do you remember like a crucial moment in your life where you feel like you felt inspired or motivated to continue ballet? Or was it a gradual kind of coming of age oh yeah I never left I was like a Backstreet Boy you know Backstreet Boys never broke up they're still around they're touring one of them's on Dancing with the Stars right now but uh, no it's just uh, being in school uh, hasn't allowed that final push so you're asking me questions that I'm realizing now I don't know because I think after graduation yeah my passion is to keep pushing in that dance direction and that's it. That's all the answers I have for that because uh, with COVID and everything, it's hard to be uh, planning. Like March last year, I couldn't imagine I would have to leave the country for a global virus. Yeah. Just stuff just happens. So life happens. Life happens. But I think that, and that's what this program gives me some peace of mind because I know that the skills they're teaching me and from class and the relationships we're making are valuable and they're real. And, uh, it's, we're not in a rush. We're all in the same boat right now. So when these opportunities come in that kind of make our daily lives easier to manage, it helps us pursue those professional, artistic, academic passions. passions. Mm-hmm. There you go. 
Well, unless you have another question, I think we're going to wrap up. Or yeah, I think time. I have learned more about ballet in the last 30 minutes than I have in the last... Well, the, the, eco the economics of arts, I yeah. mean, come on. This is great. That's yeah. going to be the title. I have, a, I have an afternoon full of reading about the economics <laughs> of arts that I'm looking forward to now. Well, before we sign off, can you tell people where they can find you on like social media? Do you would you want to plug your Instagram? Oh yes, Vatin Swagger. <laughs> That's great. Tefik Vatin Sever, T E V F I K. Thank you for having me. Also, uh, wow, God bless. Thank y'all. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm excited. Thanks for being on it. This yeah, is great. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tell Me More podcast. We hope this conversation brought a new perspective to international business and encourages you to more thoughtfully engage with the world around you. If you'd like to find out more about us, leave feedback and get in contact, visit us at anchor.fm forward slash tell me more podcast. You can also find more episodes on Spotify and all major streaming platforms. In the meantime, be good, do good, and we'll talk soon.